It's not just one scene or image, and they happen in quick succession. A flurry of places with one thing in common, they're up high. The rocky ledge of the Grand Canyon, the second floor of a mall, a roof with no railing, a skyscraper observation deck open to the wind, and each image hits in bursts just long enough for me to feel myself start to fall. I can often sense my glasses inching toward the end of my nose. I can't tell you how many times I've been jolted awake in my sleep hammock to that sense that I am falling. I used to just call them panic attacks. In my youth, it would happen with all sorts of images, and I felt like I couldn't turn it off if I paid more attention to it. The images seemed to respond with greater fury and intensity. But I guess that's worn off, and now my mind feels it's enough to just bring me to the edge of death every night. I have tried talking to people about this Gary, Katrina, Yuri, who's been installing our new yarn wall art, Nance at the Bagel Barn, where we stop on Saturdays after softball. She's a great listener. She can't pronounce pumpernickel, so I've started just asking for a chocolate bagel. I assume she's never tried one. That's going to be a tough day when she does. Telling people you experience uh, nightly anxiety attacks is basically like telling people your dreams. They don't really care, and I understand. People have enough going on. Nance has lots of bagels to schmear. But I do wonder what message the universe is trying to tell me or show me. What is the edge that's looming? Will it be awful to go over, or am I just frightened of a new chapter? Will it be necessary for me to one day jump for these attacks to go away? We consider some of the ways we make choices, how we look for flaws in things, and how loss can reshape our thinking about ourselves and those in our orbits this week. It's like I've always said, life is like being a contestant on a game show. It slowly breaks you down, and then at some point you end up screaming at a dresser. I think it's time we give that giant wheel a spin and see if we can't get a chance at the big prize in life's showcase showdown, a round-trip ticket to the Deep Night. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm honored once again to be your host, guide, and guru for this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Some nights like this one, you can look out across the surface of our Gowani and not be able to tell the difference between earth and sky. I mean, other than the sky is upside down in the bottom part, so it's, uh, you can, you understand how reflections work, but all of creation is there, spilling out from the heavy metal scrapyard to the future home of yet more luxury condos. If one were to jump in, one would enter a mirror verse, perhaps. Would you meet your twin, or a version of you that made different, possibly better choices? Who knows? Please don't jump in, though, because again, Sex disease. It's full of things you don't want, and the very small chance of being thrust into a parallel dimension, it's just not worth it. Trust me. You know what is worth it? Your health. And that's why I'm so eager to tell you about AG1 from Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 every morning as soon as I got up. Now, I used to take these supplements and vitamins and a few little melty things we picked up from a shaman in Abiquiu. But now, with just one scoop of the lightly tropical-flavored AG1, I have instant access to all the things my aged, rapidly deteriorating body needs. Because every scoop contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, all in one place. It's been a micro-change in habit that has led to big benefits. 
I even bring it with me on long car rides whenever Glinda has a client upstate or I just need to go for a drive and not think about my career. I also found it helps me sleep, and I've been having trouble, as I said. I feel, I do feel less tired the next day. Did I mention that it's also great for any lifestyle, whether you're doing the keto diet or the Jared Leto diet? Also fine for paleo, vegan, and dairy-free folks. To make it easy for you to share in all of these benefits, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm so energized by this new morning routine, insurance of any kind, and by tonight's guest on the program. It's been a moment since we've had an honest-to-goodness stand-up on the show, and it was great to hear from John Marco Ceresi about what a return to life on stage has been like and how New York has changed these last few years. For my part this week, I also got up on stage and performed in front of people for the first time in two years, unless you count my father's funeral service, which, if we're listing funerals as credits, please let me know. <laughs> I'm happy to fill in the resume. Uh, it's gotten a wee thin. The event for our friend Katie Lazarus was really something. It's touching and moving and funny in all the ways one would want from a memorial event. Did I have to follow Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yes, I did. And you know what? It was fine. Held my own friends. It was so nice to be in front of a sold-out crowd ready to laugh. My thanks to Katie for always being so supportive of me and for including me on that bill. She requested the lineup before she died, which is a pretty great thing. We should all be doing that for one another. Put your memorial tributes together. Set the bill in the will. <laughs> My thanks to her family and the great staff and production team that made it all so seamless. I like memorials. I think I'd do well on that circuit. Tonight we talk about performing and loss and ways of taking stock of the world around us with comedian, performer, actor, and podcast host John Marco Ceresi. John Marco is one of the funniest people out there, just a brilliant joke writer whose star has only increased in wattage during the pandemic. Now, that's thanks in no small part to his terrific stand-up special, Shelf Life, which is now available to stream on Amazon and YouTube. His podcast, The Downside, is up every week on the podcasting platforms of your choice. Now, his work has been featured on Comedy Central, PBS, Netflix, among others. He's acted with Jennifer Lopez, Billy Crystal, and Tracy Morgan. And now he's here with us. So let's go now to my conversation with former GE spokesman, Gianmarco Ceresi. John Marco Ceresi, welcome to the Deep Night. Uh, th hello, thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, how are you on this uh, rainy, uh, rather bleak day, which does seem appropriate given some of the things you're involved with? I listen. I like a nice bleak day. I like it. <laughs> it, it fits my mood. I feel at home, so I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, good. Well, and it's also, uh, listen, it's been the kind of week uh, where you think, first of all, uh, nothing could be more vital than recording a comedy podcast. And uh, two, hey, let's hear what these two guys think. <laughs> I th of course, I think very often I say we need one more white male opinion on this on this topic matter. And, <laughs> right. uh, good thing we got two. Yeah, lucky, yes. lucky people listening. Gosh, uh, so fortunate. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been the easiest to, uh, stretch here. Uh, how do you deal when uh, you're doing stand-up uh, when you have tough news weeks like this? So let me tell you, I so I was at a show at the Comedy Cellar, and they make the audience put their phones away. So I'm about to go up, and I read the news about uh, Roe v. Wade. And I, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to tell the audience the news because how rare is it these days where a room of people learns something for the first time? And uh, it, it reminded me, I think there's a famous recording of uh, like a symphony where the conductor announced to the audience that JFK had died in the hospital or something. Right. And I guess the, the difference between that is like then they got to hear like a moving symphony and this audience <laughs> just got to hear my dick jokes for 30 minutes. So right. I don't know if it was quite the same, but yeah. I, I, uh, I, I did let them know 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone found comfort in that. It's... <laughs> I think they were very much like, is this a joke or not? But right. if it wasn't, sure. there was no good punchline. <laughs> <laughs> right. You mean the guy at the symphony? People were, they didn't know if it was a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this conductor. Yeah. They weird, had a little weird moment. <laughs> you can only hear Beethoven so many times before you want to mix it up a little with some <laughs> That's pictures. Right. Right. People say, you'd be good at just uh, comedy. Tr give it a try. And, <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you're uh, joining me today, even with everything going on. And um, it's it seems to me it's kind of one of these quirk things where uh, I was just there enjoying Twitter before Musk, of course, enjoying it. And uh, uh, you pop up into my feed. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, gosh, this kid's got it. The jokes are so funny. They're coming so fast. They're just perfectly, exquisitely crafted. And uh, then a week or so goes by, I get an email saying, hey, would you like to have Gianmarco on your show? And I guess the question is, is the Matrix real? Is Alexa listening to me? What's going on here? My, my girlfriend thinks our devices are listening to us, but, but then why have we never gotten an ad for couples counseling? That's what I always say. So <laughs> I, 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 uh, I do think I do think there's probably a lot of inter intertwining, and uh, uh, but I also think uh, my my PR who reaches out to podcasts just writes everyone. So it's only a matter of time before she's <laughs> every single person out there. <laughs> well, I, and uh, she and I have worked together in the past. So it was not. I, I, you know, out of the ordinary, but still, it seemed it seemed a little weird uh, to me. But I, I wondered, what's the worst belief that you have about the way things work? Um, if it's not the Matrix or something, you know, something that is maybe proven to be, you know, you know, it's probably not okay, but you still go along with it. You're asking me which view do I have that I know is irrational, but I hold on to it anyway. That's right. Uh, that that's that's tough. I try to fight them all. I really like <laughs> when I do. Like, for example, if a ladder is leaning against a building and, you know, I might walk under it or walk around it, I try to challenge myself. I say, walk under that ladder, Jamarco, because, you know, it doesn't affect anything. So I push myself yeah. to do the unlucky things just to prove to myself uh, it's it's false. Whew. That's brave. <laughs> I think that's brave. <laughs> I fly a lot. I fly a lot, and um, there was that horrible that plane that went down in China a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in in my head, this this is an irrational thought for sure. Where I go, oh well, it's not like I was getting on a plane when I heard that news, and I was like, well, it's not like two planes can go down in one day. It was like the belief that because that happened, well, that's that fills the quota of bad luck <laughs> with flying today. So that's when I, I hang on. To, I think in a plane, a plane, you're allowed to be as irrational as you please. Yeah. Because you're doing an irrational thing. You're in the sky. You've broken the laws of, of what was ever intended. All right. All right. So, so why not have all of the various uh, things at play there in terms of personal superstition and bleak. Yes, of course. Um, well, uh, for my part, I, I'm, I'm all in on that Mandela effect. I think that's definitely, I think that's happening and that there are probably not just one little change, but many. Sure. Well, what the fam most famous Mandela is Mandela. The, the, there's that part who it's named after. There's also yeah. the, uh, the one about Shaquille O'Neal in the movie about the genie. And he, right. wait, he was he was in the movie, and it was Sinbad who wasn't. There's like a mix up right. of those two things. My problem with the Mandela yes. is like some of the examples. A lot of them involve <laughs> white people misremembering black people, and I go, hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to yeah, just okay. this psychological effect as opposed to <laughs> maybe you're <All> maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I'll take that. I mean, ironically, the Mandela part is the only one that I don't really uh, agree with of that whole thing sure, <laughs> because sure. I, I remember the history accurately. So many of them also are just typos or just people not really knowing how things are spelled or maybe the There's fault of the brand. 
that's a less controversial one. Some people, Berenstein, Berenstein or something like that. Yes. I always thought it was Stein, but as it turns out, Stein. Sure. And as a Jew myself, I go like, you see that maybe it's just, you're not used (laughs) to the Steins and the Steins and everyone's mixing it up. So you think it's all a root of a kind of white privilege and not having to really learn or pay attention to things. I think I think white people will will go to great lengths to avoid going like, okay, this is on me. No, this is a massive right. <laughs> illusion that we're all suffering under. Sure, okay. <laughs> right. This is a splintering of reality that has taken place <laughs> where where I am still right and everyone else is wrong. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. All right. Well, see, you're already making me rethink some. <laughs> Some things that's that's good. And uh, uh, speaking of reframing things, uh, the podcast that you have, the downside. Um, mm-hmm. That's was that's right, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I had a panic for a moment that I'd splintered into an alternate reality. Uh, 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 that one, uh, uh, perfectly tuned to these times, by the way. Yes. Um, but you get into uh, darkness, and instead of looking in the good of everything, you're looking for what's maybe uh, uh, lousy about it, right? Yes, I try. I think that especially in the era of social media, there's like a lot of projection of happiness and things going well. And uh, uh, I always think whenever I mean, this is a, a dark thought, but this is this is the theme. Whenever like a famous, successful person kills themselves, people go, what? How is this possible? Everything seems so happy. And I go, well, obviously, where everyone is is struggling and suffering. And I feel like there's a way to express that in a way that isn't annoying. Like, I, I know some people out there, they're like, oh, stop complaining. And it's like, well, complaining is my way of interacting with the world. I could go to the best dinner of my life and I'm enjoying it by complaining about the the things that I'm noticing. It's It's not so much as like, I'm not trying to find things that are bad. I'm just expressing the things that we know are bad. And we're just not talking about it. And right. I think we feel better if we do acknowledge it. Right. Now, uh, w- growing up, was that a sort of um, uh, currency within the family, too, that you would go and have a thing, and then the thing that you would talk about would be, oh, what maybe wasn't so right about that? Or if you go to a family gathering, well, that person's really gone off the, you know. I think my my family, like my mom was very negative, but like couldn't find couldn't let it be funny like she couldn't she she i I once my mom told me recently she i was on the phone with her and uh she said you know i don't think i've ever felt joy and i said well like i was saying happy mother's day um but she would feel these negativity things and couldn't figure out a way to laugh about it and i think it's because she was like sitting in it and she's she's the jewish side of my family and uh, uh, I, I feel like there's a way to, ex- to the, you know, in, in uh, I, I think it's Yiddish, to kvetch. There's a way to, like, complain that you can make it fun. I think, like, the reason people love Larry David so much is because he showed that, like, you can, you can see all the little flaws in the world and make it funny. You can complain and be comedic. And um, I think both my mom and dad, who are separated, both uh, uh, were negative in a way where they then couldn't find the joy in it, or they wouldn't want you to complain. And I think that's why they were they were they're sad. I say were like they're not still <laughs> quite. Sad. Yeah, they moved past it. Did they? <laughs> now they're happy. Yeah, separation yeah. fixed it's it. In the sixties, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> well, uh, and but you found some kind of happiness through it, or certainly a mechanism for uh, encouraging joy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's. Uh, I think, and this is partly as a comedian, where when you go through rough experiences, there is a part of me that's like, oh, I can turn this into something funny at the very least it doesn't alleviate all the suffering in life but but my best bits come from my worst moments <laughs> sure yeah yeah and, and it's healthy then for you i think so yeah. I, I, I think <laughs> i think that's that's part that's partly the whole uh thinking behind therapy to a certain extent it's like stop sitting on these things stop sitting on these things just express it talk it out 
Right. And, and to, to look for those things also at this moment seems basically realistic. Because sounds like if it's going to go bad, uh, probably will. And that the lack of imagination around that or the unwillingness to let that in is the source of a lot of problems, it seems. I, I think there's just a lot of ways to also like hide hide uh, bad things by projecting positivity or telling people like, you know, let's keep this nice. Let's keep this pleasant. And sometimes it's a way of just like not, uh, I mean, this is somewhat tangential to it, but, but like, you know, complaining connects to me to language and to cursing. And uh, I, I, I've been thinking so much about like, I hate, I hate the way uh, you'll go on the news and they won't curse as they talk about war. And they, I, I read some story. It was something about uh, Russia telling they, they, they were trying to take over an island in Ukraine. And Russia was like, give us the island. And the Ukrainians wrote back, fuck off or something like that. Right. And the news was like, and the Ukrainians wrote back, oh, well, we can't say that right now. Anyway, now they're all dead. And it's like, OK, that's the that's the that's the hard part. The, just say what they said. Just say what they said. Do we have to pretend? And then you create this uh, layer of superficiality that when someone like Trump comes along and says fuck or shit, everyone goes like, wow, look at this honest guy. And, right. and he's able to use that to like grab people. Uh, you know, uh, that's an appropriate verb. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's just a, there's, there's a lot of like where niceness feels a way, especially as we think about the rich getting richer there's just a, a way where niceness prevents people from actually being called out on their bullshit. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, look, I get it. I like a little uh, salty in my sweet. So I, I understand. And uh, just even to live in, though, in New York, to experience this city, my gosh, people say, well, it's the greatest city in the world. And then walk outside, encounter any part of it. And you're like, well, it's, it's <laughs> a rough, it's really? a rough I talk with my friend though because my friend, uh, uh, his his family's from Florida, and in a lot of other places in in the the country, they they shit all over New York. Conservatives like New York is kind of like a thing. Like, well, look at this shithole. Right. And it's it's one of those things where it, I feel like it with my parents too, where I'm like, I can make fun of it. I can make fun of it. But if I'm in, in fucking Florida and you talk shit about New York, oh, right. I'm coming right at you. I'm coming right at you. Don't you talk about my city? But no, New York is a shithole. We are, we, are, <laughs> we are struggling, man. New York is getting rough. It is rough right now. Right. There's a different edge. There's, a, there's a something that has come back into a play. And people, you'd meet them, right? Uh, sometimes at comedy clubs or whatever, people say, oh, gosh, I miss it. What? It used to be so much better in the 80s. Or I wish Times Square was such and such. Well, listen, now's your chance because it's back. And if you want to go shoot up in front of the M&M store, uh, get in line. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's intense, right? It's intense. I've had twice recently, uh, like two days, it was day, it was two days in a row where some guy just like lunged at me and, and didn't, didn't hit me after that. But like, it seemed like we might have a confrontation for a second and it just feels like everything's getting, it just feels things are more on edge. Everyone feels more on edge. I think the the rent is going up everywhere. No one's taking like the New York solution to uh, so many homeless people was to get rid of all the benches and lock all the public restrooms. And you're like, well, that's not the solution. <laughs> and and now if I got to use the bathroom, there's no bathroom. It's it's not it's not good. The subways are crumbling. It it feels it feels bad. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. And you were among the first people out there to, to do shows again outdoors and, and so have you noticed that it was really kind of a light switch change or was it a gradual thing uh as people started to creep back into the city and, and populate things they creeped back there was a beginning i think when when indoor shows first started being allowed in new york it was talk about florida a lot of florida <laughs> and it was a lot of people you wanted especially at that time they just got there from florida uh, so it was a little bit rowdier than normal. I can usually feel uh, when when a crowd you want in my dream audience, you want like a chunk of New Yorkers. You want a chunk of New Yorkers. And for a while, every club felt like a tourist club. Some clubs definitely have like a heavy tourist base. 
if you're in Times Square, those clubs like LOL, which is where I started, those are audience members who were barked in from Times Square 10 seconds ago. And uh, whereas like the Comedy Cellar, a lot of New Yorkers, um, and I think people who came there for comedy. uh, But but yeah, when, when shows first started coming back, you felt like every club was this tourist club, which isn't the end of the world. It could just be a little bit rowdier. Um, you, you might have, there's certain jokes that might not work as much. I tell some Jewish jokes and I can understand, like I have something, um, uh, I went on a date with a a Mormon woman and she asked me if I went to Jewish church and I was like, sweetheart, they're called delis. And it's (laughs) like, that's a kind of temperature taker where if that like pops, I'm like, whether there's Jews or not here, they, they get it. They understand, but places you go. I was just in Oklahoma City, and it's silent. Yeah, they, they're going to go home, and their guy. Did you know that Jews they go to this thing called Kelly's on on Sunday, and and then you go, oh no, I'm spreading misinformation right now. <laughs> right. right, then you had to be responsible for that. <laughs> um, well, did you? Uh, I, I, I forgive me for not knowing this, but did you grow up in the city? No, I grew up in a uh, 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 Maryland. Close to DC. Okay. Uh, but my dad uh, came up here a lot when I was a kid. Okay. So I always loved New York. Obviously, you learn there's a difference between going to New York on your father's dime and then going to New York on your own. Sure. Sure. But my dad loved. He he like my dad said like he did well in business. Retired in the nine nineteen ninety nine. Put it all into stocks. The dot com bubble burst, and it it was it was bad. But <laughs> There was a couple years there where we'd go to New York, we'd stay at the plaza oh. where where uh, I think it was in Home Alone 2 where where Trump had his big acting break. Yeah, yes. I uh, <laughs> uh, we would just we would just go to good seats at the Lion King Ooh. and then Wicked and uh, it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. well. Uh, I wondered what your experience was like as a kid in the city, um, and if it, because uh, I, we probably have a a couple of years between us. <laughs> but when I was growing up, there was a lot of, um, and not, you know, I didn't grow up in the city, but there was still this like abductions were very big. Kids were, there were a lot of vans. There were a lot of like, you had to be careful on alert all the time. And uh, there was a lot of instructions I was given anytime you went into a city, whether it's Philadelphia, New York, wherever. And I wondered if you had any, if you had any of these uh, kind of safety lessons that you still use, or for instance, if there was any kind of code word, like if I called my mother and said, uh, did you get the flowers I sent? She would know I was in a cabin somewhere <laughs> being held against my will. So I just wondered if you had any of those safety things that as you walk through a now reinvigorated, edgy city, you st- <laughs> still I think just, about. I just love like, that's not the best code phrase because I met you're kidnapped in a cabin and you call your mom and you're like, did you get the flowers I sent? And they're like, what the fuck is this kidnapped kid talking about? Yeah. Like clearly this, <laughs> this is a weird thing he's saying. I, I remember like, don't talk to strangers, that kind of stuff. I feel like my parents let me figure it out on, on my own to a degree. I was pretty tall. I was pretty tall. And I think like, there's something about being tall where people don't, that's a lot of body to bury, you know, <laughs> that's a big hole you're going to have to dig. Yeah, sure. A lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Notoriously lazy kidnappers are. <laughs> uh, I remember like the lessons I learned in New York were, I remember being very young. I was, I was on the street and some guy was older guy was selling candy to raise money for, his uh basketball his his yes. youth league yes and very I, famous basketball championships that happen year round yes <laughs> and and i felt bad and i was like oh i'll give five dollars all i had was a hundred dollar bill so i said oh could i get change for this <laughs> and i never saw that change no. for the rest of my life so i learned like those kind of lessons. Was it just a box left on the sidewalks or sort of spinning as the <laughs> kids shot yeah, off? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a little puff of smoke. <laughs> but you learn all that type of stuff. I mean, it's hard in New York though. You want to be you want to be generous. You want to be giving, but there's a lot of scams and you fall for it sometimes and you go, yeah. ah, it's fine. It's fine. I'll just give this 
give this money. This person obviously needs it. But I know there's there's sometimes I walk home from the comedy cellar. I, I live about 30 minutes away. And it's incredible. And this is what I mean, where you you where it feels like you take the temperature of New York, where 20 people ask me for money on the 30 minute walk home. Right. And and, you know, at a certain point, I feel like there are probably definitely a couple times a tourist actually came up to me looking for directions and I politely was like, no, 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 thanks. Sorry. I have to go. And it's like, oh, they're like, wow, that's why people think New Yorkers are rude, by the way. It's <laughs> it's just because we just don't know who's approaching us to ask for something yep. or directions. Yep. That's why I always uh, uh, am aware of what time it is. I have an accurate time ready to go. If somebody says, hey, do you know what time it is? I'm ready to, I'm not even going to look at my wife. I'm not going to take that moment to look because I think in that second I'll be, you know, tackled. That would freak me out if I, if I said to you, what time is it? And without looking at anything, you said it's 424 in 32 seconds. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. See, and you'd back away. You'd leave me alone, wouldn't you? That's true. That's true. <laughs> It works. <laughs> but uh, that's also how I'm wired is to think of the worst thing. And, and <laughs> I think before I go to sleep, that's the little movie that plays. Uh, just these uh, trailers of all the worst things, all the worst coming attractions in my life. A lot of them are like uh, cliffs and edges of things that I'm having. It's, it's very difficult to get to <laughs> sleep sure. sometimes. But um, it's, uh, it's a little too. What, what would be a fear maybe that would play for you? Oh my God. So many fears. I, uh, I have a fear. I, you know, I, I was in, um, an Uber accident a couple years ago. And ever since then, just a car T-boned us, I think. Wow. If not, I was sitting behind the driver. If I wasn't sitting behind the driver, I, I would have been severely injured. Um, and I have a lot of fears I have, I think, I think you could consider it PTSD, you know, a, a version where if I cross the street, I get sudden visualizations of cars like just slamming me. Yeah. And and that that pops in my head all the time. Um, I think about the flying thing a lot. I've been flying. I've probably flown more this year alone than I have ever leading up to this year. And I have flying fears so badly right now. And it's really tough to manage. Yeah. Really tough to manage. Did that come about after flying so much, or did, did you have that leading up I've to it? Had it? I've always had it lightly here and there, um, and it, it's it's there's just an anxiety of, you know, there's anxiety of of there's like worried about like a terrorist attack like that you know that comes in your head and like sometimes I I think sometimes if I have to take like a a, a flight at like two in the morning on a Friday, I feel calm. I'm like, oh, they're not going to hijack this one. Right. Yeah, they want to meet the news cycle. <laughs> uh, but but now I'm more worried about a, a mechanical mechanical problem. And now it's just, it's like, you try not to read about it, but you you read about the the one in Germany where the pilot took it down or the one that disappeared. And they think, they think the pilot was going through a divorce. And the you know, party wants to wants to meet your pilot before be like, hey, how's your wife? Right. How's the kids? Everything good? You're loved. Right. Give you him a hug. Wanted? Here's a hug. <laughs> I'd love to give my pilot a hug before. Right. We're gonna uh, make it. <laughs> we got well, this, buddy. <laughs> I have anxiety about like uh, I'm I'm really bad with names, and I always think I got a brain. I got a, I got early onset, super early onset Alzheimer's. I ask my girlfriend all the time. Uh, Is it uh, that you're afraid to say the wrong name or you really don't remember the name at all? I don't remember names at all. And it's humiliating. And I'll, and sometimes it's like, I'll forget my girlfriend's mom's name. And I go, oh no. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, I can name, uh, you know, the, the lyricist for some musical from the 1970s. And I'm like, okay, maybe I just don't care about my girlfriend's mom. <laughs> my, or, or I just like, I'm thinking of jokes and my girlfriend says it's probably just, I have a, a big chunk of my brain that's just reserved to holding on to all these jokes. So there's just no more room. I, I I would uh, vote for that because it seems like you're so prolific and so wired to be thinking about those things all the time and being so in touch with what's going on 
uh, yeah. that, that that does occupy so much of, or, or I imagine it does for you, um, th that it's hard to then transition back to the everyday routine quotidian yeah, stuff. Yeah. We're talking to plebeians and how are you? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. No, your focus is is on the other thing. Um, uh, oh, by the way, uh, I'm sorry you went through that accident. I'm glad you're okay. I appreciate. Well, I actually I got in the accident. I was on the way to a show in D.C. and I felt really cool because we were right next to the show. So I got out of the car and I said, "I'll be right back." <laughs> she, the driver, was okay. We were just waiting for the cops and whatnot. I went to the show and I walked in and I said, "Hey." I'm sorry. I have to go back. I just got in a car accident. Can I go up next? <laughs> and, and I went up and then I went back to the accident just as the cops were getting there. And, uh, uh, I was, I ended up being fine. My, my dad, I, my dad lives in Maryland. And so he made me go to the, you know, the hospital, do all the checks. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was fine. I was fine. <laughs> that's what caused the forgetting the names. And then maybe I'm not, and we'll find oh. out. <laughs> Right, right. Um, well, uh, somewhat related to that. Uh, a lot of this season for me, I've been dealing with uh, issues around loss and that. And so I've been asking guests, has there been uh, a particular moment, either a personal or professional uh, instance of loss, where you know you were changed on the other side of it and sort of you can clock a change, uh, a difference in how you move through the world? Is there anything like that for you? Yeah, it's uh, my my... Uh, not my biological grandfather, but basically I never met my dad's dad, um, which is a, a tradition I hope to continue with my son. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> his mom uh, remarried um, uh, a man who was like very sweet. He was a uh, he was a he was a priest and then he fell in love with my grandma and uh, wrote the Catholic Church to see if they would loosen the rules for him and. Uh, uh, instead he was excommunicated. Um, he was actually sent to a psych ward. They thought he was crazy. He was giving up this big position. Uh, uh, and, um, it seems like that was a common, uh, like reaction to a lot of things yeah, to, to yeah. be institutionalized for little or no reason. Yeah, it was, it's definitely, they, I think they were just confused. You're like, you you fall in love. You're, you're into uh, women and not little boys. <laughs> Uh, they were confused, but uh, <laughs> not a fan, not a fan personally. And um, uh, my, you know, I, my grandpa died in, in tw uh, the end of 2020. And I think it was just so, I think I, I lost two, I lost two, two people I knew, I mean, several, but two people I was closer to during COVID. And it was uh, my grandfather um, and then I, I should have brought this one up too. Uh, a comedian friend of mine named Kenny Ortega, who I worked with a lot. And uh, he had, he was doing indoor shows, uh, sort of like as they were reopening up. And he had some health issues. And then he got COVID. And it was like, it was one of these things. It was early in COVID. You know, so, so he, he went to the hospital and you're like, okay, I hope this goes fine. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And then one day, you know, you got the text that he had passed away in the hospital. And I think it was so brutal in both those cases where um, I wasn't I couldn't I wasn't seeing them. Right. I didn't see them. I didn't go visit. There was no you you could at this point visit like but you had to fight for it. It was you had to travel with it. It, it depended on how you were feeling about all that stuff. And uh, it you know, it, there was something about losing people when you hadn't even seen them for two years that was, uh, it's surreal. It, it, in a way, it's hard to mourn because um, it, you, you can't even fully like grasp it in your head you you didn't get to like be with them or witness them and see it in front of you so yeah. it's like as far as you're concerned they they existed but you didn't see them and then they didn't exist and you didn't see them and like the only difference is your imagination to a certain degree and uh i think they just stuck with me in a way where i i wish i feel disconnected 
from it in a way where it taught me the importance of with your loved ones, especially in those situations, you you, you need to see them uh, if, if they're ill, if they're having a surgery, because you it's part of the, you can't just, I don't know, you, you need it. You need to feel it. You need to feel it. And you, that's the only way to deal with the tragedy of life is, is to face it and to be there and feel it because otherwise it's just like a lingering ache where you can't even like see it fully. And it's strange. And it taught me the importance of funerals and the importance of like, uh, my grandpa's funeral, we ended up holding it. Uh, it happened to be 9-11. I don't know if that was just because that's when the church was open or we just want to make sure no one forgot. But my grandpa <laughs> had died in November 2020. We didn't have this funeral till 9-11. And it was like strange in a way because it, it wasn't like right there. It wasn't right in front of you. And it made me think of, I, I again, I wasn't raised super Jewish, but I know part of it is you kind of hold the funeral pretty much right away as soon as possible. And um, it made me, it, it made sense of that to me to a certain degree where it's like, you got to face your loss uh, of right in front of you. And it wasn't possible during COVID for many right. reasons. My, my girlfriend lost two of her grandparents in that span. And the first one, she, we did a zoom. It was a zoom funeral live broadcast from Florida. And my girlfriend and I watched from her apartment, and it was like, it was horrifying. It was horrifying in the way that like, there was no ability to like really be with people and hug and, and, and feel and, and confront it. And thankfully for the second funeral, she was able to go down to, to Florida for it. Um, it was very, the, the funny part was at the beginning of the first funeral, the, the rabbi was uh, on mute and he didn't know it. So the first 15 minutes of the eulogy, everyone's in the chat going, Rabbi, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. Oh. <laughs> and he's not checking the chat. No, yeah, he's not paying attention. <laughs> so, so. Um, Those Zoom funerals were also intense because you are confronted with everyone's emotions on one screen. And, yeah. and it's not like you're sitting next to them or something, or you're all in a row. You're you're just, you're there and you're checking in with everybody. I, I found those, uh, I lost somebody too and did a uh, Zoom funeral like that. And it was uh, very difficult, <laughs> I thought. They they were, Zoom funerals were a lot like Zoom comedy shows. There was very little laughter. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Better to be in front of a, a warm audience. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I found that too. I went to an in-person one too, and it was, uh, uh, and that was my father. And that I had thought, like, oh, let's let's spread it out and let's take a little time, like you're saying. But in fact, I was happy it all happened kind of the same week, and we could get uh -huh. it done. But I, it, I'll also say my what my one of my comedy friend who who died, uh, the the funeral ended. It was in person many months later, um, and uh, the owner of the club that he had been working at for probably over a decade was not there. And there was something about that where I was like, remember this, Joe Marco, <laughs> remember not to bend over back. There's certain people that are not worth bending backwards for. And, uh, it's very easy, especially as a, in a, a stand-up comedian's life where you are subject to, I don't know, a dozen employers, if, especially if you're in New York, there's a dozen bookers and each one, uh, you, you feel this need to make them do whatever they ask. And there's something about a funeral that you go like, okay, don't, you know, they're, they don't care if you, <laughs> not all of them, some of them are nice, but a lot of them don't care if you die. So maybe don't, uh, uh, skip your girlfriend's birthday to make the last minute spot that they offered you. Right, right. Well, that's an important lesson. Yes. And I think uh, I'm not a big grudge holder because I don't have that kind of a memory, but I, I do track the people that weren't at funerals. <laughs> you know, yes. people. Uh, 
You can't help it. <laughs> you can't help it. It's not with me. Yeah. Until I go, I'll remember who wasn't there at that one. Um, but I think that that lesson of showing up for people uh, sort of all the time, but certainly in times uh, where things are difficult or challenging for them, it's uh, important to do. And, and knowing, as you say, who's uh, who's worth it <laughs> in terms yes. of going to the mat for, uh, knowing how that's going to work. Um, uh, so I appreciate that. I'm sorry for your loss and uh, I appreciate sharing that. It, and we're all doing it. So, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Gosh, um, and uh, and you're also involved in Quibi. That was a, a bit of a loss. Yes, yes, Quibi. Uh, I've I've been on uh, Quibi and CISO, so I've been <laughs> oh. on two platforms that sank quite quickly. Right, uh, well, you you feel some responsibility then, do you? Yes, yes. Well, Quibi, it didn't even air on Quibi. It didn't make it, so it got bought by Roku. But it was a uh, it was that's a game the remote show. control, right? Yes, yes, that's the remote control that that has its own channel now. That's that's the world we live in. That products are like, let's just have a whole channel. Um, uh, uh, and it was a show. It was based on a Japanese game show um, where you had to guess: uh, is this a, a real object or is it actually made of cake? And comedically, you put it in your mouth, and oh, it was a dirty shoe, and now you're you're sick. <laughs> yeah. ha, 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 ha. And uh, Josh Groban was the host. I'm sure he made a million dollars off this five day shoot. Yeah, it was uh, it was a weird shoot because it was it was like during COVID, so they did all the protocol things, um, but there was no studio audience, and it just feels weird when when no one is there to be like they kept introducing us and I'd be like, hi. And they're like, okay, we need way more. And without an audience to show that you're not being a fool, you're just like, whoa, you feel like a, a, a idiot. Yeah. But, um, uh, I, I, I competed with a, a friend of mine. We agreed whoever won, uh, would split it 60, 40 with the loser, which, uh, I, I regret because I won. Um, <laughs> Should have been a little higher. I, yeah, <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't air it, but I, Josh Groban, at one point asked me in the final round, "What are you going to do if you win all the money?" And I said, "Use it to get this scrubbed from the internet forever." <laughs> and he said to me, "He's like me too." And I, I feel like that was the general mood of of the show. <laughs> oh well, I I know uh, the the game show uh, world itself. Uh, the way that they treat audiences uh, is rough. <laughs> I mean, I, I participated in the audience of The Price is Right, and uh, not an experience I would want to go through ever again. Um, Why? What did they do? They make you, uh, first of all, it's in a parking lot adjacent, which is all of Los Angeles, but you're kind of trapped there, and it's they don't have chairs, just a bench. You get there at like 5 a.m., L.A. is warm a lot of the time, but not at 5 a.m. People are cold. You're supposed to go through these little hurdles and these little interviews, but what you don't know is that you're being tested the entire time you're there. So interns are walking through, and everybody who's always like, okay, guys, move over this way, they're the people that are really evaluating and running back to the judges to say wow. who's, who's good. And everybody's got elaborate costumes on and all military uniforms, whether they were in it or not. Um, it's all elaborate. And uh, the friend that I went with, we had cooked up some scheme where we were going to get engaged. Like that was the, the funny thing. Now, it occurs to me that I don't know if she really thought we were going to get engaged. <laughs> so sure. that's something for me to work out later. Uh, I, I didn't end up marrying her, but I also didn't end up getting on the show. Um, it, it was just like our thing was too contrived. And of course, the person that was wearing a T-shirt, some old codger uh, with a T-shirt that said, I named my dog Bob because he's a barker. Um, he got on, you know. Now, yeah. I also heard him say, I don't have a dog. So... <laughs> But after hours of being out there in the cold and in this environment where you're kind of competing with these just nonsense, um, uh, you're so broken down that when they bring out a piece of wicker furniture, 
you lose your mind. Uh, they're, they're like, this. the winner gets a light sweater. <laughs> oh, please. I would do anything for a sweater right now. That's right. Uh, it's, would you ever do another game show? Uh, yeah, I, I like, I want to do like, like, I I like games. I do like games, but like, I would do one that had like charades in it, or I I don't know what the big games are now, but like pyramid, $10,000 period, million dollar period with inflation, who knows at this point, $53,000 pyramid. I would totally do that. (laughs) That seems like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it just like rent pyramid would be nice. Like whatever, whatever, just cover the rent for a year. I'd be happy with that. I watch a lot of Survivor. I guess it's a game show in a way. I always think I'm a big Survivor fan. And yeah. it's funny because it, the prize is still a million dollars. And I like the idea of someone who wins, who wants to be a millionaire gets a million dollars too. And like coming off this island after 28 days, you've been eating rats. And you're like, wait, we got the same amount of money. They got a couple <laughs> guesses, right? <laughs> it doesn't seem fair it <laughs> well the poor people are naked and afraid they don't get anything do they nothing that shows <laughs> that shows wild yeah. i would never i would <laughs> i wouldn't last the bugs the bugs would get me <laughs> i know it i know it. well you must be happy to be back inside telling jokes and things to the degree that we all are doing that right so so happy i was i did i did a lot of zoom shows and it it uh kept me financially afloat but they were they were rough and um it's just exhausting it, it was but it's a mixed bag though because like i did a couple colleges uh over zoom and the money was the same. And I was doing it in the same room I'm in now. And I would do 50 minutes for four people and get paid $1,600. And I would tell them right there on the call, I was like, you guys don't know this, but your tickets are all uh, $400 each right now. <laughs> you could have seen Beyonce. You could have seen Mulaney. Backstage passes. <laughs> and I, I recently, two weeks ago, I flew to uh, somewhere in Wisconsin and it was a college and I, I took two different flights to get there and I take the Uber to the, the college and it was an audience of about eight people in a giant. And it, it listen, I got paid. It got paid good money, but there is something about that much travel for a show for eight people yeah. that makes you wonder what am I doing with my life? All right. It's survivor versus who wants to be a millionaire. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, well, and you did. Uh, your special shelf life is uh, one of the early ones of being outside and what it's like to do an outdoor uh, special. Yeah, yeah. I was I was lucky. Someone was like film a special, and and I I'm I'm too much of a perfectionist. Uh, but I had written a lot of COVID jokes, uh, jokes about just where we were at that time in life, and I knew that they would become dated. To a certain degree, I mean, every time there was a new variant, I, I thought, oh, I get to use some of these old ones. That's great. <laughs> but uh, I I decided to try film filming something outdoors. It was so stressful. There was like, you know, uh, we'll seat people that are in pods. This is when we were still talking about your pod. Right. And we'll do temperature checks at the door, which I was always like, I was like, how many times have you heard someone getting turned away because of a temperature check. I've heard, I've heard twice. It's just, it just felt like, you know, it didn't really do anything, but we, we did all the things, sanitize outdoors, super limited capacity. I, I would never film a special now for with 25 people in the audience and uh, uh, including the camera people and the sound <laughs> people. They're not laughing at shit, right. um, but uh, we, we did it. We did it uh, early. Um, this was also before the election. So I talked about that. So it felt like a cool way where uh, when I write jokes, a lot of them, it's like they got to be evergreen because I don't know when Netflix is going to want this hour. So I need to, you know, fine tune stuff that in three years I can still do it. But this felt like really of the moment. And uh, it, it was exciting. I'm so glad I did it because it was such an artistically uh, dry year. And I was glad to look back at 2020 and go like, I did do something. <laughs> right. I did do something. Right. 
And uh, it, it helped because obviously when everything started to go back to normal, um, Roy Wood Jr., who's a fantastic comedian, he's on The Daily Show, he yeah. had written an article early in 2020, mid-2020, about how when things come back, everyone is moving down a rung. Uh, if Lady Gaga reschedules her concert, that means someone else has to move to the theater. Someone moving to the theater means uh, uh, not Bill Burr per se. He's pretty big, but but some big comedian has to move back to the comedy club. And then ba 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 ba. And I was really determined to like hit the ground running uh, because I was scared. I was scared. I put a lot of eggs in this stand up basket. <laughs> right. And um, I felt fortunate. I think that special helps people go like, okay, well, he can headline this club right. On, right. on the off weekend. <laughs> Every time I go to a club, and they're, they're like, sorry, it's a little light. This is the weekend of the the uh, Oklahoma City uh, a parade festival. So it's the worst weekend to be here. That's why you're headlining it. That's why we gave it to you. And I go, okay, okay. I'm still happy. <laughs> that's right. Still in it. You're still in it. That's got to feel good. Um, and then that special can be seen on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. It's on YouTube too now. If we put it everywhere. Oh, great. Oh, good. It's, so, so watch it on Amazon. Watch it on YouTube. Do whatever you like. <laughs> and the, the podcast, The Downside, uh, you, they're new every Sunday? Uh, it's a new episode every Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. Um, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> a, a video on, on YouTube of that as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love it. It's with my, one of my best friends. And uh, we, get, we get people to you know, talk about stuff. A lot, of loss, a lot of loss, complaining, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a rich uh, offering. And uh, I really appreciate the kind of transparency that you uh, give there in terms of your own career and, and moving through everything. I mean, I've been in this a long time. I still have no idea how Just for Laughs works. And uh, sure. <laughs> I've had well, people explain it to me. And I, I, don't, I still don't understand how it works. So I really appreciate the kind of inside look at everything and of course all the things that you're sharing and people that you have on so it's really great um thank you uh so uh this has been terrific john mark i i, I so uh, value this conversation thank you for being here thank you uh, and uh, uh we'll uh, catch you uh, doing all the things that you're doing the podcast and the special and you're gonna you're performing all over the country right all over the country all over the country uh if people find me online they can uh join the email list or text list, but I really am. I'm going everywhere. <laughs> That's I'm good. going everywhere. Well, try hugging your pilot. I want to know how that goes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Continued success. There you have it. My thanks to John Marco for spending some time in the deep night. And I realized that for as nice as that event was that I did at the Gramercy, there was one tiny fly writhing in the ointment. And I'd almost blocked it out till I was reflecting on this conversation. At the downstairs bar, a gentleman had taken a stool and installed himself there. Now, he was already a little bit far along on his alcohol journey for the evening. In a high-pitched, very grating, very loud voice, he spoke almost nonstop through the entire event. As if software had edited out his silences, he just prattled on, uh, getting progressively drunker, calling the bartender by name, repeating to each new person that he thought he was coming to a comedy show, but instead it was for someone who died. All due respect to the person who died, but I want to laugh. Pour me another. I work in daytime TV production, which should have been the key. Now, we were underground, far from the stage. No one in the paying audience could hear him. But for the few of us performers who were trying to watch on monitors, it was a soundtrack we had to tune out. Now, it was obnoxious, to be sure, and New York does like to throw that kind of thing at you. But as I age, I also think, maybe this fella has some issues around death. Some of us are just quieter about it. Sometimes our downsides are really their downsides, <laughs> and we shouldn't let it get in the way of our experience. I'm always grateful for you experiencing the deep night with me and within. Until next time, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. 
Deep Night with Dale is independently produced, written, and performed by James Bewley. Season 14 artwork by M.K. Cummins. Season 14 theme features lyrics and vocals by Kylie Lotz, music by Austin Lotz, and mixing by Zach Robbins. It's never too late to give Dale a positive review while hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But you can also tune in to Dale's Frequency on Stitcher, Podchaser, SoundCloud, and Spotify, wherever you are. Dale's right there with you. To get in touch with mindfulness tips, positive reinforcement, or just to say hello, email Dale directly at daleradio at gmail.com. Be sure to follow him on Instagram by looking up at Dale Seaver. From our being to yours, thank you for visiting The Deep Night. <laughs>